0: Good morning everybody, welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box and these are your headlines. Weaker numbers from Apple, the tech giant posting its first profit miss in seven years as demand for its high-end iPhones drops on production issues and a softer macroeconomic environment. Slower ad revenues at Alphabet and weak sentiment towards Amazon after the company forecast slower than expected sales growth for the current quarter.
1: Uh, meanwhile, Meta surges to one of its best days in almost a decade, pushing the Nasdaq to its highest level since September. Top executive Nicola Mendelssohn tells CNBC the tech giant's strategy shift is paying off.
2: 2022 was a, it was a critical year because we, we were able to demonstrate that we didn't just have a plan, but the plan was working and that we have proof points to show it.
1: And ECB, plus the Bank of England, both hiking rates fifty basis points, whilst a change in wording at the Bank of England sparks speculation that rates are now at or near the peak. But the governor tells CNBC it's too soon to be sure.
3: I'm not saying we're, this is this is it. Uh, we're done because the world is too uncertain at the moment. In, in our case, there are there is a there is an encouraging downward path of inflation in our central projection. But there are, there's a big risk. We've got the biggest risk in our forecast on, uh, on inflation on the upside that we've ever had.
0: And the Dhani Group losses spiral past $100 billion since late January as a short seller's accusations of fraud spark an intensifying crisis at the Indian conglomerate.
1: See, they had Jeff at the wall. And I said, Adam, no, we need to check because we've both been traveling. And I yes, love yeah. it when we've both been traveling because despite the fact that people think we're on a jolly up in business mm-hmm. class and in our five star hotel, All sipping cocktails truth. and what All have you. that true? The truth is, we both go away and we try and learn something. Yes, we do. And I, I had a. How's br- the Italian going? Oh, do you yeah, know, I was anyway, doing so well until Duolingo on. just kept p- repeating Baluena and Squalo. I don't, I know how to say whale and shark now. I need to move <laughs> on. But, 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 but uh, you know, I learned a lot about what people are doing at the business end of the transition. And I discussed that with viewers a little bit earlier in the week. But but I want to know what you learned. You had a, a corporate tour. You were yes. doing your Heidi impression around the Alps for the last three days. Yes, I,
0: I think. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure that this is a blinding revelation. But I think the most interesting thing was how... Uh, CEOs, um, when they're chatting to you off camera as well or mm. not, as well as on camera, are, are basically having to relearn how to run. Um, really, I, I think that the COVID pandemic put a lot of businesses into—I wouldn't call it the permafrost, but basic, basically into the chiller—and so they had to think about keeping their business going, but they were distracted from growth by keeping their business going. So they were very focused on supply chains. They were very focused on getting people just to turn up and do their job. And effectively, it was all about just managing through the crisis. And I think what's been interesting just getting out and going to a few companies and talking to a few people is just how much um, more challenging it is at this stage to come out of that and to refocus the business, the board and the management team on the idea that now we're through the other side of the pandemic. This should be about growth. It should be about the new corporate targets and a lot of those, as we know, increasingly are not just about the financial targets. They're about the ESG targets, as you were finding out, I think, with Baker Hughes. Yeah. But it's also about realigning management. And, it, and I, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but isn't it interesting how many executives seem to be exiting stage left either moving up within the company to a president or a chairman role, or in fact, they've just decided that now's the time to move on. And, and Nigel Wilson, you know, you weren't in, I don't think, for that show. But Nigel Wilson, you know, had a, has a, had a great career. The guy's 66, so I guess, you know, well, forgive him for retiring. a lot. But no one was expecting that. No. And all of a sudden, we're starting to get a lot more news flow about not only individuals who are looking wow. for new jobs Within companies, but actually, executives who I who I think are rethinking what they're doing with so their jobs. Two
1: quick observations, because I know you've you've got to move. But um, yeah. one. Um, uh, Julian from Gam yesterday, Julian Howard. Julian was, Howard yeah. yeah, he was saying there is a lack of CEOs in London who want that top job at the moment. Who, are, as you say, they're all moving around. So that was absolutely echoed your point there. The second point is, and I would just look at the flip side of what you first came in on: that they're just having to learn how to walk again, than having trying to or learn how to run, or because they've been running on, on permafrost. Maybe the fact of the matter is, I, I sense with. Uh, Lorenzo Simonelli, a former GE man, just like you and I, actually he was relieved. I can just get on with the stuff I know that I'm really good at, which is running a business and selling stuff rather than having to worry about permanent crises. So I, I agree that people are getting back to basics. But I actually felt relief was coming from him rather than kind of, oh, my God, how do I do this?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a key point. And and it's very interesting talking to a couple of healthcare companies as well, because they've obviously been the eye of the storm when it comes to the pandemic. And two different companies, Novartis, that was very was not very involved with a lot of the testing and a lot of the uh, compounds. And then Roche, that was very involved. And you look at it now ask yourself which of these companies looks in a better position for growth going forward right now because obviously all of that cliff edge around uh, uh covid related products is happening at roche well, and they've got to find some new growth and i know you have got to
1: move on to apple now yes, but I've got, some, I've got some good news for you go on well apparently you enjoyed switzerland so much so we've clubbed together to send you out there again next week yay
0: fantastic to <laughs> so all, all my swiss friends in zurich and bars look forward to uh, next week um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about apple then if i if i just move out of the way you can have a good look at the uh, the big apple uh, uh, logo and if i go this way then you can have a You know, we prepared this for hours in advance, as you can tell. Um, You can have a look at the numbers here. Apple then missing expectations for its fiscal first quarter revenue profit and sales. The tech giant posting just over $117 billion in revenue. Dragged down by disappointing sales in the key holiday period. The CEO, Tim Cook, blaming a weaker dollar production issues in China and the uncertain macroeconomic environment for disappointing results. Well, what about Alphabet then? Did Alphabet do a whole lot better? Well, unfortunately, as you can see from what they call the spider that's dropped down here, Alphabet also missed on the top and bottom lines, posting just over $76 billion in fourth quarter revenue. The tech giant is struggling with weaker ad spending, which particularly affected YouTube, as well as tough competition from the likes of TikTok. Alphabet also said it will take a charge of up to $2.3 billion related to layoffs announced last month. Well, clearly Amazon must have done a whole lot better. And in fact, Amazon reported better than expected revenue for the fourth quarter. The e-commerce giant reporting $149 billion in revenue. That was a beat as its advertising segment was ahead of expectations. Ah, but the company's cloud business, Amazon Web Services, missed estimates amid a wider slowdown in business spending and first quarter guidance came in. Weaker than expected. So very interesting, Steve, as the market has um, perhaps got more excited again about the prospects of the technology companies. And we've seen the Nasdaq have a little bit of a bump here. And clearly Mark Zuckerberg, in spite of whatever happened at that company, I heard you and Karen debating the relative merits of particular business lines. It got a bump in the market because people were excited about the idea of getting back into growth
1: or people had the wrong position going into the numbers. Maybe. Dare I say it Maybe. cynically as well, because there was a lot in those numbers. I was like, really? Yeah. Really? We're excited about this? Yeah. Have you seen the cost base? Have you seen the DAUs, the MAUs? Right. After Tech, After Hours Tech wasn't much better. I mean, yeah, We can. It says Adlib. Uh, meta, I can Adlib Meta if you like. Let's have a look at Meta After Hours as well, if we may. There we go. Look at that. Well, that's in session, isn't it? That's 23% higher. Anyway, Tanya, yes, Tanya sat down with Meta's Vice President of Global Business Group, uh, Nicola Mendelssohn, and asked where the company was looking to invest.
2: We've changed some of our organisational structures. It also means, you know, in terms of where we're making our investments, that actually over 80% of our investments are actually being spent on our core family of apps and services, on things like our investments in AI, on things like Reels, uh, and on things like our investments in business messaging as well.
1: So guess what? Not for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, I am stunningly confused. But let's get to David Neuhauser, who will unconfuse me. He will enlighten me. He is the CEO of Livermore Partners and joins us now. David, lovely to see you. Now look, this is why I'm confused. Because you are writing your first line here in your copy that you've very kindly sent, Jeffrey and I, text dominance as an overperforming asset class is over now. Whilst I reckon I understand a lot of the rationale for that, the Nasdaq is up five percent this week. Um, meta surging as well. It looked like it was an outperforming asset class yesterday, sir.
4: Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think if you look at the week, but you got to look at from where we we came, right? I mean, I think Steve, you look at you look at last year, you know, a number of these companies were off, you know, fifty, sixties, seventy percent from their peak. So to see um, you know, some less bad uh in the markets and maybe a little bit of buoyancy to see these five, ten percent moves up, uh, to me is just, you know, are just bounces in a bear market for sure. Bounces in a bear market and that that's really interesting
1: because I think what our viewers ha- have struggled with is s p with these six or seven massive names and s p X those big six and seven names as well so how does our audience play this and by the way I noticed and I'll, I'll show this to the viewers later the transports had their best week so far since March as well huge rally so it does prove it is a broad brush rally rather than just about tech which goes to your point as well but how do our viewers actually trade this with those S&P major components and without them? Because it's hard for them to differentiate if they're, if they're looking at more passive products.
4: Yeah, I, I think the way, first of all, there's a number of things you have to look at is, you know, you go back to 2022, remember, I mean, we started to come off a cliff earlier in the year. And, you know, as we got, went through summer, we were at almost a peak uh, bear market site in terms of cycle. And then, of course, you had a much, much, more aggressive Fed uh, that started to really turn up interest rates over the you know course of the rest of the year and the fall. So I think you had almost peak sentiment in terms of single stocks uh, as you went into the end of the year, as people believe the recession uh, was upon us. But, you know, fast forward to where we are just a month in, um, you know, you're seeing Jay Powell uh, start to retrench a little bit in terms of the steepness of the curve, and that's of course causing uh, some light to the tech market and the rest of the market, as you described, which you know is good in the short run. Uh, and maybe we had too much uh, bearishness or hawkishness in a very short period of time. But again, you got to look at this over a period of like a year or two or three. You know where you want to be positioned. Why you want to be posi- positioned, where's the inflation rate? What's the growth rate? What's the earnings multiples on these stocks? What should they be? So there's a lot of different dynamics that you really have to build in from an investor standpoint to determine, you know, should you be invested in tech? Should you be invested in transport? Should you be in oil? There's a number of these dynamics. And today, I still say nothing has substantially changed, uh, except I uh, like I said, I think tech's tech's dominance for the past 10 years seems to be uh, coming to an abrupt end.
0: David, let's move you on to something that um, you're more excited about then. Uh, The the market reaction to to the Fed has been very interesting because it seems that they listened and then they said, oh, well, that actually means that inflation is is done then and we, we can move on and we can reinvest. But we got a broad based rally in lots of things, including the metals that you so beloved. Um, just tell us where you think we should be invested rather than where we shouldn't be.
4: Yeah. So I think the areas that I, I've stressed on this with you guys, even just, you know, when I saw you last here not too long ago, but in, in December. So, you know, the idea that you were going to have a China reopening, which was going to be uh, helpful to some aspects of the global economy. We, we like luxury, of course, as sort of a hiding place, sort of ultra high net worth individuals that had just, you know a lifestyle that they, you know, regardless of inflation or even some uh, some degree of, of wealth effect deterioration, wasn't going to all of a sudden, you know, prevent them from buying the next Hermes uh, scarf or Louis Vuitton bag. So I-, I love that space. I still do. Those stocks are up big already this year, 20%. Um, I think there's a growth narrative there that has a long runway ahead of it. Um, Of course, a much deeper pronounced recession over the next, let's say, a year or two would start to derail that a bit. But I think as you look out five years, 10 years, those are really the the potential winners. The other avenues which we discussed is a weak dollar, which I think is going to be structurally uh, occurring going forward. And that's going to be a boon to metals, base metals and the like. So copper, gold, silver and oil. And again, we like, you know, at our hedge fund, we like to play those very specific sectors, very specific companies. So, again, we outperformed uh, big time last year because of some of the small caps in the space. And I see that uh, as a path going forward. Are we um, are we waiting on a wild coyote
0: moment here, David? You you know, the cartoon where he just runs out and he runs out of air and then he drops and there are a lot of chartists at the moment who are looking very closely at the pattern we've traced here with the, uh, the key U.S. markets. And they say it looks an awful lot like some of the previous major routes we've seen. Is it your sense we're
4: on borrowed time? Uh, I, I do, because I think there's just, again, a lot of structural dynamics that are occurring, you know, de- whether it be geopolitical, uh, you know, whether it be in terms of deglobalization of the world whether it be uh, higher labor costs, higher energy costs. I mean, some of these aspects of, of inflation, you know, sure, they're dying. You're starting to see that happen. But it's mainly, as you guys see, I mean, it's mainly in the good side of, of the business, which means you're starting to see more recessionary uh, forces come to play. What you're not hearing a whole lot about recent, very recently is, again, the service side and the labor side and that these costs are like embedded now And again, it really, you know, rings true when you see uh, technology, when you see some of these earnings or some other aspects where the margins are just getting uh, starting to get deteriorating or deteriorating. And I think the growth rates are slowing. So you're seeing slowing growth, higher costs, higher borrowing costs. And I think, you know, you look out over the next few years and I think still, still uh, the only path is to the downside. It just may take a little longer to get there. David, always good to
0: catch up. Thanks for joining us this morning and best of luck with the rest of the... Of the day, uh, David Newhouse, the CIO at uh, Livermore Partners.
1: It's a very nice painting as well behind it, wasn't very it? Very
0: nice painting. Yeah, I um,
1: didn't pick that up in IKEA, did he? No, I don't <laughs> think so.
0: Um, talking of which, I mean, I think the the underlying message there is, you know, at some point liquidity meets valuations as long as the central banks keep tightening here. And
1: I love your wily coyote reference. The wily coyote. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's some references that just don't get old. and no, This image of him just
0: scrambling in the cliffs behind
1: him—it's just, it's perfect for this market. I know.
0: And um, you look at the the, the the resilience that there seems to be at the moment to the upside you think uh, there's a lot of people that are going to get sucked back in at this stage where the acme
1: dynamite
0: just blows it all up exactly well the central banks are doing their best to help they are Uh, the european central (laughs) bank has now uh, raised interest rates by 50 basis points to 2.5 percent that was in line with what the market was expecting ecb president christine lagarde pledged to quote stay the course that is her new catchphrase. I think she was she was trying that out at the, um, out at, at the WEF the yeah. event, and um, clearly she likes the phrase and she thinks that it's going to stick. So she said another
1: half. Jeff, what do you, point you think of my phrase? I'm, I'm going to say stay the course a few times. Time. Stay the course. I think yeah. that's what terrific. Do you think, Jeff? How many times on your panel did she mention it? Well, she I think she, mentioned, she must have got in three
0: or four good references, uh, she, but it was right up there in the headline opening. Yeah. she answers. was unflappable.
1: I've got to be honest. I mean, again. No, yeah, you, you were good. She was good. It was like two titans, yes, yes. clashing. Yeah, that was a good film.
0: Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because I think I think central bankers do love a phrase these days. We will do whatever it takes, right? Look, ever, that, that ever worked it takes, really well. It takes. Now we're going to stay the course. Stay the course. Until we're not. Uh, markets took the comments as a signal the ECB's hiking cycle would come to an end this spring, but some policymakers pushed back, saying they expect another rate hike in May. Annetta was in Frankfurt for the decision and asked Lagarde about the negative effects of the hiking cycle.
2: I would say that... All that we are seeing, which is a tightening of the financing terms and conditions, uh, higher rates um, in, in, across the, the various sectors of, of lending, is actually good transmission of our monetary policy. Uh, it's it's not the entire transmission because by the time you know the investments is possibly reduced, financing is is uh, more expensive. Impacts will will channel through into the real economy. Uh, but we can tell that there is transmission of those rates already. And that was part of the propositions that we had, obviously. Um, we are hearing the banks and we have good dialogues with the banks uh, on, on impacts that all our measures have. Our measures have impact on, on interest rates as well uh in 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 a different direction so we we are attentive to that and uh, of course we are attentive to financial stability uh and uh, and this is something that you know comes into uh, the decision making process
4: Meanwhile,
1: the Bank of England also staying the course. Uh, It has hiked rates by 50 basis points, bringing its base rate up to 4% the highest since the global financial crisis. Guilt yields tumbled on the news as Governor Andrew Bailey said the Monetary Policy Committee has seen the first signs of inflation turning the corner and the upcoming economic downturn will be shorter and shallower than previously expected. But the bank's projection that the UK won't return to pre-pandemic growth until 2026 paints a bit of a grim picture for the economy overall. Jumana asked Governor Andrew Bailey whether markets are right to price in an end to the hiking cycle in the near future.
3: The way I would put it is that we've been saying up until now that in recent times that if the economy evolves, and if inflation evolves as we think it will, rates will have to go up further. And we also use the word forcefully, uh, which a lot of people picked up on. And you, you'll see today that we're actually we haven't said that, either of those things. So that's, that's intentional. However, um, you know, I'm not saying this is, this is it, uh, we're done, because the world is too uncertain at the moment in, in our case. There, are, there, is a, if there is an encouraging downward path of inflation in our central projection, but there are, there's a big risk. We've got the biggest risk in our forecast on, uh, on inflation on the upside that we've ever had.
5: Hmm. Well, you have downgraded your inflation forecast, which is interesting. And you also cite that there are some signs that labour demand is beginning to slow. If average private sector wage growth starts to slow down, would that be a signal to you that perhaps your work is done?
3: Well, I would say that private sector wage growth in particular is a very important part of the, the evidence that Certainly, I'm looking to see. By the way, because we look at inflation and wage settlements, the whole economy, but private sector settlements have been a very important part of the, of the thinking as to you know, what's shaping up as we expected. They have been above what we expected in, in, in recent months. But there is evidence now and in two respects, both in terms of the sort of the shorter term path of reported wage settlements and the some of the surveys, and what I hear from with our agents when I go around the country, that that is possibly beginning to change, but we can't really see it, you know, firmly enough in the evidence yet.
5: And when you talk about monetary policy working with a lag, I see that's a, a new statement as well that you've put in. What, what sort of lag are you referring to? How long is it going to take for these rates to well, be transmitted? It's, it's not.
3: If, if I may say so, it's not a new statement, of course, because there's a transmission mechanism of monetary policy. Monetary policy feeds through into the economy over a period, you know. Of, yeah. at least up to around two years, something a bit longer than that. And the way it feeds through depends on structural features on the mortgage market and so on. So it does happen with a lag. And so one of the important questions, you know, we've raised interest rates now you know, substantially in the last uh, 12 months or just over 12 months now, um, very, you know, very substantial. We've done a lot. Uh, of course, we we expect quite a bit of the effect of that is still to still to come through. So we want to see the evidence of so that. So Andrew too. Bailey
0: then looking like he's just come back from his uh, audition from Phantom of the Opera. I love the lighting. Did you gothic? Did you oh, very gothic? Moody did you like lighting. that lighting? I did like God, it. Oh, yes. Bella Lugosi's dead, I hear, but Andrew Bailey is still very much alive. He is very kicking. much
1: alive. And do you know yeah. what the the excitement right. of this week, which it's been over we have massive amount of tech earnings massive amount of other earnings we had Shell huge numbers yesterday Mm, very interesting interview yesterday you've been travelling I've been travelling and yet the the, the, the cherry on the icing on the cake is still to come this week it's payroll day yeah payroll day expected to show slower growth with Reuters forecasting 185,000 new jobs created in January, I can tell you, at least one of the um, big houses out there, I think it's going to be 300,000. I think it's Goldman's Dow looking for 187 down from 223 created in December. Unemployment rate, uh, I to tick up, but we're talking three and a half, 3.6% here. So we're decimals. Uh, average hourly earnings, everyone's watching this, aren't they? Uh, rising 4.3% on the year, uh, well below inflation and lower than the previous month, apparently.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating on the back of those jobless claims numbers, isn't it, really? Which seem to suggest the market is still very tight for workers. Well, coming up on the programme, Adani shares falling once again amid the Hindenburg report. We will talk about the latest on that story when we come back.
1: How's the podcast today? Oh, just genius. There's a lot of Wiley e. Coyote references. There's uh, moody film noir references. It's got a lot, to be honest. Uh, for more of the disappointing earnings from the Tech A team, uh, check out the Score podcast. Jeff's talking through it all.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Shares in Adani Group companies are again sliding, continuing a route that has seen the group's companies shed around 50% of their total market cap since short-seller Hindenburg Research released a report accusing the company of fraud. India's National Stock Exchange says it has placed three Adani companies on additional surveillance, including the flagship firm Adani Enterprises. Well, Nimesh Shah joins us. He's a reporter for India's CNBC TV 18 and comes to us from Mumbai this morning. And Nimesh, I think we'd all be very interested to know what the feeling is there about the accusations that Hindenburg are making, because we know part of the response from the company was to accuse Hindenburg of being anti-Indian, which the company itself dismissed very rapidly. But how is it being received there, this story?
5: Well, you know, the news flow continues to, uh, continues to hit the Adani Group stocks. In fact, uh, the, as you rightly pointed out, the market cap of the entire Adani Group has fallen more than 50% in the last, uh, you know, since January 24. And in fact, it has, the overall group market cap has now slipped below 10 lakh crores. In fact, now there are a lot of agencies, you know, pointing out questions on the, on the group, on the accountability and everything. If you look at today's trade as well, most of the Adani Group stocks are under pressure. Adani Enterprises is down 12-15%, uh, Adani Port, Ambuja Cement, Adani Green, Adani Wilma all are under pressure today uh, for the 7th consecutive day. Now couple of news uh, as far as the group is concerned. One, the National Stock Exchange which is the NSC has put the three Adani Group Stocks which is Adani Enterprise, Adani Port and Ambuja Cement under the additional surveillance measure. This means that these stocks will be for, uh, will be for more stringent rules. In fact, from, in, from today onwards on intraday, the investors will have to put in 100% margin in all, this, all the, these, these these three stocks. Additionally, Adani Enterprise will be removed from the Dow Jones Sustainability Index starting Feb of 7. So that's going to be additional pressure as far as Adani Enterprise is concerned. The company, uh, one of the group companies, which is Adani Port, they made an announcement, They made a uh, you know, quarterly update on the operational data for the month of January. That sounded a little, little strong. But broadly, uh, there has been a negative sentiment or a negative spiral, so to speak, towards all the Adani Group stocks. Every, all the stocks are under pressure again in today's trade. And as I said earlier, the entire market cap of Adani Group is now below 10 lakh crores, and it's down 50% from January 24. So there is massive selling across the group stocks. Now there are a lot of reports about uh, you know, regulators looking at, uh, at Adani Group stocks. The banks have been talking about uh, you know, what could be the exposure to this group. So there are a lot of things to question. But as things stand, all the stocks are continuing to be under pressure and the market cap has lost more than 50%.
0: Nimesh, terrific. Thank you so much for the report. Nimesh Shah from CNBC TV 18. Thank you for listening
1: to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.